This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Darshan Johan alongside Shrat Kuten, Alia Safri and Hanif Barudin. You're listening to The East is Green, a mini-series where we bring you stories from the east coast of Peninsula Malaysia, also known as the Malay Heartland, in hopes of painting a more nuanced picture of its people, culture and politics. On the first episode, we reflect on our trip to Kelantan and Terengganu and also talk about the Malaysian Happiness Index. So if you'd like to send us your thoughts, you can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. You can also tweet us at BFM Radio. So guys, we spent about a week in Trungano and Kelantan, three days um, in each state. How was the trip for you guys? Very insightful. Uh, very eye-opening. Um, I think to a certain extent, I was... Maybe I have certain, certain expectations, but I think I'm still pondering, you know, uh, and still reflecting on, on, on the trip there, actually. <laughs> so it's uh, you're still um, in that uh, kind of contemplative mode, is it? Yes. Uh, <laughs> damage, damage <laughs> conclusions. Well, I went to Kelantan and Trangano, uh, you know, uh, in the 80s, my first trip, mm. when uh, Pantai Cintabrahi was still known as Pantai Cintabrahi. He's now Pantai Chaya Bulan. So, okay. you know, from passionate love to uh, <laughs> the moonbeams. Uh, so things have changed and the East Coast, but I keep going back and um, uh, it's an extraordinarily beautiful part of the country. I really enjoyed it. I thought the people there were really warm. So it's not my first time in Kelantan. I was there when I was 13, 14. I went to school there. I guess my memory there is a bit might be a bit skewed because I was younger. But going there, I felt like people were just warm. People were just friendly. It was very... It felt like a very... It had like a very welcoming vibe. It was a very eye-opening experience as well. Because um, I, I didn't have much expectations. But you... You hear the stereotypes and whatnot, um, you know, the, the headlines that often makes the, the news. Um, and, and so I was very curious to see what it was on the ground. And I think it was very enriching. It's probably one of the best travels that I've ever been on. Is that because of me? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because, you know, we... We actually engaged on the trip, right? It wasn't a trip where we just went and relaxed. It was a work trip. But more than that, it was, you know, let's talk to as many people, every person, either e-hailing drivers, um, you know, people's grocery source sellers and, and warung people and, you know, people from the professors and, and students. We, we spoke to a wide range of people to just try and really understand what is it that uh, people on the ground are feeling, what are their perspectives, how do they shape all these things, right? So, um. You know, did you all have any specific expectations going into the trip, like um, a specific ideas of what you all think it would have been and uh, what these places are? Um, and, and to what extent were these exper- uh, expectations challenged? Um, Sharad, what do you think? Well, um, I guess, as you said, because it was a work trip, uh, my primary concern was access mm. uh, and not to ordinary people because I think you know typical of Malaysia uh, every corner of Malaysia people are very open and friendly the access was really to government officials uh, and political leaders and I think that was my main concern so we did get some access but of course it was also a challenging time in Kelantan because of the dissolution of the of the assembly so that also provided a kind of barrier to access yeah, I had a more of an, I guess, um, a bit of a moderate expectation, I suppose, that were both somewhat met and also challenged to, to a certain extent. I think, I mean, obviously, I'm not from the Klang Valley, so I, I can kind of expect, you know, what lives are like, you know, outside the Klang Valley, but at the same time, 
having worked here for I mean close to 10 years now I have become a bit urbanized I suppose so so it's also and because that was also my first time in Terengganu specifically so I was also like trying to think about um, you know what it's going to be like and because again it's a work trip so the, you come in with like a different kind of perception I suppose or you come in with a different mentality compared to I guess if you it was like a like a you know like a holiday trip right, yeah. right. and if you're utterly urban and what are you talking about <laughs> and you come from one of the most ancient parts of the peninsula Malacca <laughs> so as a woman I did you know, head into the East Coast with some expectations, especially around attire and what's considered decent over there. I think that um, there was definitely, if I compare both um, Klantar and Tringanu to um, where I live now, which is in Slangor, um, there, there is definitely a bit of a difference. Like you, you, you don't really see people who are, uh, you know, not wearing tudung over there. So one of the um, physical, macam the things that I could see uh, in Kelantan was that they had signs everywhere. Like I would, I would stand, I would be at a place, and I would just stand in front there reading the signs. So the signs were talking about um, the need to to top aurat, uh, the need to wear tudong, and then one one of the signs was really interesting, saying um, I think it was um, maybe uh, directed at maybe younger people because it was saying things like you can be fashionable, but you have to be fashionable in a way that uh, you have to be decent you have to cover up and that was interesting to me um in terms of i i also felt that maybe there was also a little bit of a difference in the way that people over there might have paid attention to me so i feel like uh over there of course i i wanted to you know respect what uh, you know sensitivities over there and cultures culture over there so i dressed a bit more modestly than i would than i i i perceive how i dress here i think yeah you know, a lot of people, especially living in the Klang Valley, they have a, a sort of image associated with Kelantan and with Trangano. Um, These images are often perhaps a, a stereotypical view of those states or people tend to say, you know, it's, it's the Malay heartland, it's one block. Um, Sharon, I'm wondering who or what do you think is generating these images that some people have of the East Coast of Peninsula? Well, the media, I think, primarily. So we um, are responsible for those images. Uh, you know, you talk about dress. So the question of uh, aurat and what, what is decent attire affects not just women, but men. In fact, mm-hmm. there was a celebrated case of, you know, guys coming back from a futsal game, right? right? So, so those, but what I think what we discovered in talking to people is that, um, you know, the chances of being caught are actually not that great. Uh, and it pri- primarily it has to do with, um, I mean, there's still quite a bit of freedom. I think individuals exercise uh, over their choices, but you could be unlucky and get um, and get caught. I think that was one explanation that was given to us, wasn't it? Definitely media, social media, cases coming from, stories coming from people who met uh, people in Clinton and Tringanu and didn't have good experience. I don't know. I think that those were, yeah, that's something that shapes. One thing I found also very interesting is that often it, it people tend to paint Klantan and Trangano as a block, 
you know, the Malay heartland, as if all the people there are, are sort of one monolith who think along the same lines. But when we go, went on the ground, we spoke to a lot of people. There are a lot of very interesting political and cultural conversations that are going on among the people, and they are not all in one unison. I don't think that's a bad thing. It shows the diversity of thought that exists within what we know as the Malay heartland. Um, I think one of the most interesting things um, is that people in Kelantan and Trengganu themselves see themselves as culturally different, right? Um, sometimes we, we don't even prompt them, and they were just in conversation say, oh, but we are not like the Kelantanese. Oh, we are not like the people from Trengganu. And because from those states themselves, they have like this very, you know, large, like Semangat Kenegrian, and they also have like different sorts of um, culture. Like one is like a beach town. So they seem like, you know, they like to project themselves. Or at least they like to talk about how they are very relaxed, you know, lepat tepi pantai, you know, at after four. And then Kelantan is it's a little bit different. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that's, that's one of the more interesting aspects that I think came up naturally, right, without even us prompting. And I initially was a bit like perplexed as to why they feel the need to somehow um, distinguish themselves from 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 each other, right? Um, I don't know whether it's because they perhaps know that we're from the media, but at the same time, I find it quite interesting as well because, like you said, it's it's that semangat kenegrian which is actually quite prevalent a lot if you go outside the Klang Valley, right? Um, but at the same time, I guess to a certain extent, yeah, people maybe just feel the need to to somehow distinguish themselves, right? And I think right. the different kind of um, I guess attitudes and approach, uh, different approaches to to life, perhaps you know. Um, that can be, I guess, influenced by the fact that, yeah, probably the geographical location or the kind of, I guess, cultural attitudes that they have in terms of, like, I, I find, like, the, it's very interesting to, 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 to see that. Well, you know, this, um, well, the East Coast of Malay heartland is as homogenous as the Bangsa bubble is. I think, it, <laughs> you know, if you want to put it bluntly. So, um, but what is the dividing line between the cultures of Klantan and Trungano? I think partly rests on language and so, you know, the story that one hears all the time, even if one is only tripping out to the islands of the East Coast, which is another, you know, reason why people have a particular attitudes about the East Coast, um, is the story of Kuala Basut and the Basut area, which is technically in Trunganu, but culturally Klantanese, right? Mm-hmm. And it's all about language, right? It's about how people speak the Malay language, whether you say Maka or you say Makang, <laughs> you know? Um, and so those kinds of divides... I think remind us also of the the, the nature of the peninsula, you know, the fact that we are a federation of states and those states have unique histories. I mean, obviously overlapping, but yeah, uh, it's a fascinating part of the country. I think them differentiating themselves, differentiating themselves, um, it's done in a rather endearing way. I think... um, Although saying that, um, speaking to some people there, they do feel, even when they distinguish themselves, they do still kind of talk about um, the way they live their lives um, similarly as well. Uh, when I spoke to them, they were like telling me about, uh, hey, you, you want to talk to someone in Kelantan? I have friends there. You should talk to them. They're like still supporting each other in that way. So even though they want to distinguish themselves, even though they're talking about their differences, I feel like they still have that same um, this sense of community. Alright, let's go for a very quick break. After the break, we discuss the happiness index and play some clips from conversations we had with people on the ground. Keep it here on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dashan Johan alongside Shrat Kutin, Alia Zafri and Hani Barudin. You're listening to the first episode of our new series, The East is Green. So, fun fact, Trunganu and Kelantan are some of, if not the happiest states in the country. 
Yeah, so this is based on a study done by the Department of Statistics, Malaysia, uh, with sc- higher scores coming from places like Labuan. I can't imagine why, but okay, <laughs> Labuan's high up, um, Selangor very low up. But in a very recent um, study on the democratic nature of various states in the peninsula, uh, in fact, Tringano scores lowest or in the lowest percentile. So one of the three lowest democratic states, and you know, part of it has to do with you know, the number of days that the state assembly sits and such. So, yeah, so maybe people don't care about politics or governance, or I'm not quite sure where the connect is. I mean, if you take all these studies at face value. So we we did speak to a bunch of people on the East Coast, right, to just get a sense of peop- whether people are happy and why they are. For instance, we spoke to Sharifa Muyani and Shakina Kamaruddin, co-owners of Meraki Cafe. It's located in Kuala Terengganu. Shakina actually moved from Selangor to Kuala Terengganu after getting married. Uh, her husband is uh, like a local Terengganuan. And in this clip you're about to hear, she talked about what exactly drew her to settle down in Keti. For me, staying here is I uh, got out from all the bus lah, macam-macam sebok sangat kan. So I have quality time lah with my family. Uh, and second of all is I can pursue my career also dekat sini. Uh, macam orang cakap job opportunities tu kat KL banyak apa semua. Tapi I, I've seen here, uh, business is so good here. Talking about stability of income. Kat sini pun boleh cari income yang stable and also can I can provide for my family macam everything is enough so uh, macam I dah pernah kerja dekat KL and I don't think macam I have to struggle to keep up with the lifestyle there Shakin also shared her thoughts on the community there and briefly spoke to us about the general state of the of people's mental health yeah, I rasa macam here is more a lot of more peaceful, macam everybody take care of each other dengan uh, all the communities macam banyak activities to buat development, macam uh, recently I, uh, Miasa Malaysia datang kat sini buat uh, exposure about men- mental health and they said the result was so good, macam orang kat sini mental health there is much more better because everybody's not rushing for anything, everybody got family time yang cukup support yang cukup and then Sharifa Mulyani, who is Shakina's, uh, who you just heard, uh, there's, uh, who is Shakina's sister-in-law, she was born and raised in Trangganu and she talked about the state of education there. The government now dah buat macam okay for the education. For me lah, I rasa macam the government tu macam tak kacau pun the rakyat. Just, uh, I think we're getting better also. Not like macam, oh tukar ni jadi eh, tak macam dulu. Uh, we can see the difference, we can feel the difference uh, and we nampak lah the difference tu macam better, better, better. Uh, tak adalah makin mundur ke apa and the restriction, right? Tak adalah macam, rasa jadi makin kampung tu tak ada. Uh, and like uh, for me, pasal education ni memang tak kacau and I suka the way like uh, my daughter masuk tadi kaya sains Islam. I love the teacher, I love the school. I love the uh, the way they handle the kids and uh, yang tu government punya tadika plus the fees uh, tak membebankan the syllabus and the very like pantau anak-anak kita bagi tahu kita puan anak macam ni macam ni macam ni kena macam ni macam ni memang jagalah anak-anak kita 
We also spoke to Pak Zaki, who is a taxi driver and businessman uh, in Kelantan. And he talked about education there and why he thinks people send their, send their children to Sekolah Pasti. Bezanya Pasti dengan Taska, Taska dia banyak fokus kepada takkan agama sangat. Macam Pasti ni kalau masuk dekat dia untuk doa-doa apa ni yang patut kita ajar ni semua anak-anak boleh hafal. Dia boleh baca-baca-baca semua doa-doa ni dan dia tidak ke arah yang kebangsaan punya apa pelajaran dulu. Apabila dah habis tahap tu baru dia lambatlah macam anak pacik alami setahun di, di Pasti tu tak kena huruf lagi. Huruf ABC ni tak kenal tapi doa semua dia boleh hafal. Ah itu kelebihannya. Ah jadi sekarang ni dengan keadaan ni orang lebih suka ke agamalah. I think a lot of interesting things were mentioned in the clip right I think and it's the two themes that that was repeated is is about um education as also employment opportunities so the people we spoke to um um you know in this case they seem very happy or at least content with the situation um on the ground um you know he talked about how you know despite the weaknesses of pasti he's very happy that you know how how his um you know children are growing up in that education system it does seem quite interesting that like 60 years after independence with the expectation of modernization and what malay leaders and muslim leaders in this country themselves aspired to the start of independence right that somebody would say that uh, not reading the alphabet after a year of school is okay as long as you can do your prayers so there might be a shift in, in cultural values that or maybe the, in that part of the country those values would never change and this is actually a reflection of old um, notions of what a good life is or what a good person is that you know they could be buta huruf i mean illiterate but doesn't matter as long as they are in fact uh you know uh, moral people ethical you know so i think those values i mean we had maybe need to do a check on where malaysia is not as a whole but in you know, different pockets we might have very different values yeah but not to be ageist about it but i think there might be a generational difference in terms of the attitude as well because i think shakina and also sharifa mulyani um, also mentioned um, education uh, thought spoke, or spoke about education from a different perspective um, i think um, they perhaps uh, you know um, we played a bit of, of the, the the clip there but i think uh, in a larger conversation conversation they actually spoke about how um, uh, they still prioritize um, modern education i suppose but they enjoy those values to them there needs to be a bit of balance i suppose What was interesting to me was how much um uh you know how much Sharifa from Meraki um prioritized the relationship that she has with educators over there and uh you know she um after the interview she also spoke about she she talked about um teachers messaging her afterwards talking about uh what the kids did this is something that's just important to her Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point, right? This communal values relationship you have with your teachers, with your neighbors, and so on and so forth. Because um, when we arrived, um, you know, when we called a cab, and we we were talking to the cab driver, and. He said that he, you know, moved back to to Trungganu recently because he got married, and he feels that Trungganu is a far better place to raise children than in 
KL, where she was working for for a few years. And and that's very interesting, right? Because he pointed to the fact that he had family members nearby, you have stronger communal values, um, you're closer to your neighbours, your work is probably nearby. But at the same time, he also pointed the weaknesses, which is the, the lack of job opportunities here. So um, he said in KL, he had more options. Now he has to do e-hailing because that's the only option available. Right, but there was also this whole Jagger, the Pikai and Orang right. uh, conversation that we had uh, mm-hmm. several times over, I think, which is the, the wonderful thing about living in urban Malaysia is the level of personal freedom you have from the anonymity, right? You, I mean, yeah, you want to get to know your neighbours and especially the building is burning down. But, <laughs> you know, on a day-to-day basis, you don't want them to know what's going on in your personal life, right? And so that can't happen in a, uh, in a very tightly knit community. What I, I'm always, you know, impressed by in the peninsula is that, you know, we're actually a very small country on the peninsula side, right? Mm-hmm. Just in space terms. So you could shuttle between these two worlds quite easily and you could live both lives. Yeah. But yeah. Going, going back to, to the the whole Jagger Tepi Kainorang thing, which, yeah, again, it was a prevalent theme uh, throughout mm-hmm. our, our trip there. Uh, I have to just contextualize it and say that, uh, I, mean, I mean, if you want to look at it from a more objective perspective, I suppose, um, it's not something that's just exclusive to the East Coast. I think... Again, it's it's pretty much more prevalent outside, I guess, the urban urban setting uh, where um, yeah people just tend to be a bit more communal. So I think it comes, it's part and parcel of communal communal life. I yeah, suppose. communal and <laughs> nosy, right? I mean, I mean, urban people are nosy, but they probably use a binoculars. <laughs> <laughs> and and I also think right like you know we, we talked about how you you brought up the how this particular um, gentleman uh, you know in the conversation talked about how you know he is okay um, if if the child is perhaps not uh, very literate in, in a conventional sense but you know has the strong sense of Rohani and you know even with the PhD students we we were speaking to and all obviously you know they value education um, and all of that but they even they said you know for a lot of these weaknesses. Um, that um, they find like a lot of weaknesses in Trangano um, where they are living. They said one of the good things that they are happy with is the whole spiritual Rohani aspect. And they said, you know, that is something that PAS does well. Um, if you want to talk about, you know, the political parties that have been governing or, or setting the scene there, um, they said that's something that, you know, is done well, that people care about these values and, and these morals and religion and, and so on and so forth. They wish that other aspects could be better as well, such as the job opportunities, uh, other aspects of education. You know, I think the the question of us as individuals being, being able to make choices, I think is central to the way the Federation works. And maybe one of the things that uh, I've been thinking about is... What, what, you know, if uh, PASS and, you know, people uh, who support it want to rule the country, how will they deal with this diversity? Because uh, embedded in our politics are certain assumptions about individual freedom, mm-hmm. choices, our embrace of globalization or our rejection of it, right? So, um, you know, maybe the Federation is best uh, governed with a, a light touch rather than an imposition of a particular values that might come from uh, the the situation, say, uh, like in Trungano and, you know, conversations with uh, Dr. Bala from the um, Dewan Panyokong Pass, you know, his view as a minority is so different from how minorities, meaning non-Malays, non-Muslims, view themselves in the Klang Valley. We're much more empowered. I mean, he comes from a 
to what 2.5 percent of the population right. minority. In fact, with Indians, is like in Trigano is like 0.5 in. Clanton was 0.3% of the population. And that creates a different psych, uh, psychology, right? So I think it's interesting because we're, we are going there precisely because PASS has ambitions not just to be in the federal government, but actually to lead federal government. Absolutely. And I think that's a good way to wrap up this segment, uh, Thanks for bringing up Dr. Bala because that will be our show next week. We will be airing a conversation with Dr. Bala. is the advisor to the Trangano MB. He's also part of the non-Muslim wing of PASS. Okay, we're going to go for a very quick break. After the break, we'll continue this discussion. Keep it here on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dashran Johan alongside Shrat Kutin, alias Efri and Hanif Baruddin. And you're listening to our The East is Green series. This is our first episode. So on our recent trip to the East Coast, namely Klantan and Shunganu, we spoke to a number of people about their lives there. Are they happy? Are they not? Because based on the happiness index released by the Department of Statistics Malaysia, Klantan and Shunganu, putting aside Labuan and federal territories, Klantan and Shunganu are two of the happiest states in the country. Yeah, so going back to Pak Zaki, which uh, I think we spoke to earlier, uh, he's a taxi driver and a businessman in Kelantan. He also spoke about the issue of employment and this is what he had to say about that. Uh, sebenarnya ada. Tetapi biasa yang tak ada kerja ini, kalau kita cakap orang yang mana sekolah dia tak habis. Contohlah katakan SRP lah. Dia habis di sini dia tak lulus. Ataupun ke SPN dia tak lulus, tak boleh sambung pelajaran. Ada yang boleh sambung pelajaran, tapi kerja selepas tu tak ada yang dia nak. Contoh dia ambil bidang universiti, dia nak gaji sama dengan tu memang tak ada. Sebab Kelantan tu ini mungkin dianak tirikan oleh pihak-pihak tertentu lah, pihak pusat kerana pembangkangan. Jadi peluang kerja di Kelantan memang tak banyak lah untuk kaki tangan kerajaan. Lebih lagi satu pun sebelum ni, ni negeri Kelantan ni ramai orang yang kerja sendiri, berniaga. Apabila dah anak-anak kita dah belajar masuk universiti, dia mengharapkan gaji yang lumayan, tak nak kerja yang main-main, yang gaji murah. Sedangkan kerja tu boleh cari makan. Contoh, kalau kerja di Kelantan gaji RM1,200, kerja di bandar besar seperti KL RM2,000, yang duduk 2000 dekat dekat bandar besar tak boleh simpan duit pun 2300 sebulan tapi yang duduk di kelantan gaji 1500 kalau dia boleh menyimpan boleh dia simpan sebab di rumah dia boleh makan di bawah tanggungan mak bapak lagi apabila dia keluar ke kota raya dia dah tak ada mak bapak kat situ So one of the things that often comes up in conversation about these courses is a question of freedom and also fundamental liberties. So we talked to people about the question of at- attire and also whether they feel uh, those rules around attire are restrictive. Uh, Shakina Kamruddin of Meraki Cafe shared her thoughts on this. They don't say you have to wear tudung tau, but it's just when you are in public, you have to be sopan lah. Kalau tak kan, tengah ni banyak je pulau yang... People go there wearing skirts, wearing short pants. I, I'm not talking about orang. I'm not judging. I don't think macam orang cakap, oh, Terengganu ni is too religious. So, orang-orang bandar tak boleh nak duduk kat, kat, uh, dekat kampung. No, orang kampung takkan cakap kat you macam, hey, you, kenapa pakai macam ni kat sini? Tak ada. Nobody will tell you that direct in your face. It's just you know that you are doing something yang uh, out of your orang punya 
culture so very different orang tahu Terengganu and Kelantan is very religious uh, negeri states kan so but then they don't kacau you as long as you um, macam you know don't uh, you, uh, you know your boundaries you, you are not naked at the beach especially Malays kan so it's okay for me do your thing and just uh, limit lah kan kat sini it's just kalau you rasa macam banyak lagi kelonggaran yang tak cukup for you then this is not the place lah Shakina also followed up on that and talked about the kind of entertainment that's available in Terengganu If you want to have fun kat sini you can have fun if you have want to sing ke ada je pusat karaoke ada je kat sini no clubs je lah uh, and for macam chinese and indians if you want to come here they don't they have they have pubs kan they have entertainment we have cinema we have that entertainment and kalau you nak pergi pantai pun you nak pakai short pants pun it's okay no one will tell you macam oh This is Terengganu, you don't do this here. Tak ada orang akan cakap macam tu. Speaking of entertainment, I also spoke to a local musician there in Terengganu. His name is Nakib Muhammad and he's a folk musician that sings in the Terengganu dialect. Here's his take as an artist on how the authorities and the people perceive entertainment in Terengganu. Bagi saya di sini, saya okey je. Saya okey je. Kalau nak bandingkan kehidupan di luar, di bandar besar dengan di Terengganu ni walaupun orang cakap lebih memang kita lebih islamik kan kalau orang tak tahu kan tapi di sini kalau ikutkan a uh, okey je sebenarnya tak, tak ada apa yang uh, perdebatan pasal benda ni perdebatan yang besarlah hmm. isu-isu yang besarlah yang berlaku sebenarnya hmm. sebab a uh, masyarakat di sini dah selesa hmm. selesa dengan Uh, kehidupan yang daripada dulu begini kehidupan kita lah yang islami begini di sini setiap sama je lebih kurang je hmm. tak ada banyak beza pun jadi hmm. benda-benda tu rasanya tak ada isu yang besar lah di sini sebenarnya lah ha, sebenarnya tak, tak, tak ada isu yang besar lah so mungkin ini lebih kepada walaupun ah ha, walaupun bertukar apa bertukar kerajaan kerajaan pun itu ha. ha, dia tak ada isu yang besar sebenarnya ha, Itu lagi satu perspektif ya, Sebab yeah. kadang Kalau I mean, kalau lebih nak direct cakap Kadang-kadang kata Oh bila PAS dah berkuasa yeah. Tiba-tiba oh mungkin lagi Lagi ngota lagi lagi strict Dia punya yeah. dia punya yeah. enforcement dia semua Ada ada, ada yang dia dia perketatkan hmm. Tapi still okay hmm. Dia tak ada isu yang besar pun sebenarnya <laughs> Bagi saya bagi saya yang di sini lah ha. Mungkin saya juga mewakili ramai orang kot ha. Ha, ya. Tapi bagi yang Uh, tak menetap, menetap di sini Yang di luar mungkinlah nampak yang macam Street yang hmm. Tapi di street tak ada yang isu yang besar Tak ada beza-beza yang besar hmm. Sebenarnya hmm. Over in Kelantan Entertainment and how it's perceived is still a bit mixed According to Shafiq A young DK Barat practitioner Who's also in the independent music scene The authorities the authorities are still particular When it comes to the latter Compared to the former Sebenarnya Ada je tak Ada je yang terima hmm. uh, Bergantung pihak Penguasa lah hmm. Ada sometime uh, Yang minat tradisional Dia cakap okey lah Penguasa Tapi kita kena pohon Melalui hitam putih lah Kalau kita nak main Untuk modern uh, Khususnya hmm. Kalau tradisional ni macam Dikir barat silat ni Okey lagi lah Boleh main Jadi tak ada halangan Untuk bermain ni kalau moden tu agak susah sekarang dekat Kelantan sebab 
Akan timbul banyak-banyak isu Minggu lepas ada isu uh, Untuk buat padahal Walhal persembahan akustik je Kalau dia tengok ramai orang Jadi dia timbul isu Jadi tak boleh buat persembahan uh, Macam tu Jadi yang tu Kita kena follow uh, Syarat-syarat dia Yang dia bagilah hmm. Dari pihak penguasa Contoh-contoh syarat yang ada adalah Mungkin uh, Syarat ni saya rasa Tak boleh uh, Lelaki perempuan Sekali duduk Lepas tu pemilihan lagu Pemilihan lagu Lepas tu Apa lagi eh? Contoh Pemilihan lagu tu dari segi macam apa nak, Macam jenis uh, lagu Islamik. Uh, Islamik Tak boleh lagu cinta-cintun Biasa tu tak boleh lah Lepas tu lagu ke, uh, apa metal ke ah uh, gitulah tak boleh lah hmm, tak, tak boleh lah lagu politik pun tak boleh uh. macam tu lah saya rasanya macam tu lah hmm. jadi dari segi ruang untuk uh, kiranya Shafiq kata uh, ruang untuk membuat perform lah untuk hmm. perform tu agak kurang lah untuk untuk modern lah untuk tradisional okey hmm. sekarang okey ada okey sekarang boleh je sekarang boleh je hmm. Tak ada masalah lah ha, Untuk tradisional okey dah sekarang okay. ha, Tapi kalau untuk yang modern tu yang ha, Modern tu Saya pun takut kadang-kadang <laughs> <laughs> Memang memang takut saya Eh boleh ke tak eh, Boleh ke tak ha, Jadi ha. macam tu ha. Ha, Jadi rungsing tu ada So loads to reflect there I, um, Before we talk about the freedoms one I think uh, Pocky brought up something very interesting Which is about the federal-state relationship And how that may have impacted um, development And um, economic opportunities in, in the East Coast um, Specifically Kelantan and all over the years And I think that's something that people do, perhaps don't often talk about um, Is that yes, um, perhaps um, like many analysts have pointed out That you know, PASC could have run, um, let's say, the state of Kelantan much better um, in their time. There are a lot of things that they could have um, focused on um, and and they did not deliver. But at the same time, um, you know, we have to keep in mind that even Selangor was a BN state at one point, but Kelantan hasn't, right? It has been passed all the way um, for the longest time, for the most part, I think now 33 years already. Um, and these kind of things can cause strains between like the federal and state. So if federal is party A and then the state is party B, they may not want to sort of give resources and so on and so forth. Yeah, thank, thank you for bringing that up because I, I find it quite interesting that the locals there are very aware of what projects are from the federal government and what projects are from the state government. Uh, in fact, um, when I was with Shafiq, he, he, and it wasn't even prompted, he was just mentioned, oh, that's a, that's, uh, that's a federal government project, that's a state government project. Yeah, so because I think they're still building the highway and it's taking such a long time to actually build the highway there because they only have one highway, if I'm not mistaken. And he was telling me that, yeah, it's a state government project and the reason why it's taking so long is because they don't have the resources to actually build it. And then when we passed through uh, the Isara project and they were like, oh, and he was like, okay, this is the federal government project and it's, the progress is much faster because it's a federal government project and whatnot. So yeah, I find it quite interesting that, I mean, these are, these are things that, you know, little things that I sort of observe when it comes to how they even they, you know the locals there perceive and know which projects are you know state I mean because there's another project then that's um, a state development project that that's just started and he was like okay that's this that's a state government project and hopefully it'll bring job opportunities there because Shafiq yeah, also complained about job opportunities not being available especially for him as a young person you know trying to live still live in Kelantan yeah 
So, I mean, expecting government to be the main generator of employment is uh, an interesting perspective, right, and, and probably very problematic in the long run. Um, but uh, beyond that, I think, you know, the issue of the politicization of development funding is huge. It's It's been a political issue for decades now. The Wang Esan issue where federal government basically took away the, the oil royalties going directly to the states uh, as, in fact, is their right, uh, and then channeling it through agencies that they're in control of was a very cynical move on the part of the of the federal government uh, to deprive past-led governments of some uh, 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 financial and fiscal um, uh, autonomy. Uh, but, you know, we spoke also in, in an interview with uh, the Trungano ex-court, I mean now because the Trungano State Assembly is dissolved with Tunku uh, Hassan, Tunku Omar, about the policy of development, a lot of um, development projects in Trunganu that have either stalled or failed were actually done under the Barisan national government when uh, when uh, Idris Jusso became the Mantri Basar many years ago. I think it's interesting too um, that people that are in tune, they know what's happening, they know what's happening on the ground, they know which projects um, haven't been built and they are hoping for things to pick up and for opportunities to develop. But at the same time, there is there is also kind of like a sense of um, at least from the people that I've spoken to, there's a sense of them also not saying that they don't they don't actually expect government funding anymore. This is something that they've gotten government help anymore. Like this is something that they've gotten used to, and so they've sort of found like tried to find their own way in like making a living and stuff. So, what do you all think of the this aspect of? freedom um, in Kelantan and Trengganu, because even within that, there's a lot of diverse opinions, right? Because um, one of the things that was brought up um, throughout through conversations as well is about how um, sometimes it's, um, you know, there are enforcement agencies, but it's not so much that, you know, people are standing on every corner of the road uh, and monitoring what you wear necessarily. It is... It's, not now. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, you, you know, at, at least that's the, that's the situation right now. Um, but there is still that, you know, some people are very okay with it. Some people wish that, um, you know, there's a little bit more, new, uh, you know, openness. Um, and I think this is what in our conversation which we had with Abim, which is an NGO. Even they also talk about about how, you know, within the, the Malay heartland, there are, you know, people who, who are pushing for more openness um, in terms of how you can dress and, and so on and so forth. And there are people who are perhaps a little bit happy or, or rather happy with the with the sort of um, religious perspective on, you know, whether it's clothes, whether it's um, what you call, what kind of music you can and cannot play and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, and I think what, what what's also worth taking note is also the fact that um, there's also there's the authorities and then there's also the people themselves. And it, again, again, it goes back to values, right? Because these places have, um, if, you, if you think about it, you know, a different value to the kind of values that we're more familiar with, like you mentioned earlier, Dash. Um, the kind of policing that happens also sometimes come from the people rather than the authorities. You know, so, uh, I mean, again, um, in my conversation with Shafiq, he said that, you know, sometimes, you know, police came because um, people complain rather than, you know, because um, the authorities feel the need to, to I guess, enforce, quote-unquote, right? right. Uh, so, so, so that, and, and the complaint can just either be because there's that, you know, a bit of a dinky here and there, also, or, or can just be because of noise. Yeah, because sometimes some of these, you know, traditional practices, they 
place you know up until midnight so it can be quite noisy so some people can just be like complaining metal you know? noisy <laughs> I would never have thought it's brilliant music okay <laughs> Yeah, Hanif, I think I think that's true. These values are very much ingrained in their community. And then I spoke to a younger person who was living in who's living in Kelantan, and he talked about how it's not so much a matter of the authorities catching you, but more of like since it's so tightly knit that anyone anyone that you know over there can can see you doing like maybe things that are not uh, allowed there, and just reporting it to. And then this becomes uh, a thing of like a family telling you this is not allowed. For example. I spoke to a young person over there who talked about how dating is like there and apparently you can't um, you know you can't be together alone with a person and then this causes like stirring of rumours in, in within your family and not not only just authorities yeah so the resistance to kind of modern forms of expression is one thing but there's also resistance to traditional forms and so the actually the suppression of Ma'yong of Wayang Kulit uh, traditional Malay arts uh, traditional Malay design that incorporated pre-Islamic elements all these are also under threat and have been you know widely reported and also because documented by groups like Pusaka. So we're not talking merely about uh, a, a love of the traditional, but reimagining the past as well. I mean, so pa, as a party and its ideologues uh, seek not just to say no to globalization and heavy metal, which I might agree with, uh, <laughs> but, you know, they, they're also saying no to their own past. And this is deeply problematic. And, you know, it came out in our conversations with Alex Lee and it came out in conversations with people who are concerned about uh, how the governments of those two states deal with traditional cultures. Yeah, but to be fair, I did speak to um, some representatives from Pusaka members as well. And they did say that um, these days the authorities are not as as strict when it comes to traditional performances. So they are still allowed to practice. They are still allowed to do things. It's just that, you know, um, yeah, there are still some guidelines if they're performing in public. But if they want to do it, um, you know, in private... They can do it. Um, they can do it by themselves as long as they don't yeah, exceed time limits. So okay. Yeah. So this public-private thing came out in a conversation that we had on actually our first day arriving in Kuala Trungganu, uh, You know, speaking to um, uh, the people from the National Art Gallery, and uh, you know, and you spoke to Hakim right uh, mm. at Rumakayu, yeah. uh, and about this real d- deep problem because in my one of my first times in Kelantan was in a Chinese kampung watching a wine kulit because. Uh, Dola, uh, Dola Bajumera was doing, he was the Dalang, the late Dola Bajumera, uh, could only do it within a Chinese kampong. And so the paradox is that the space, the public space in Malay society has shrunk mm. for traditional Malay performances. So even when it comes to the issues of freedom and liberty, right, um, what I found very fascinating is that when you speak to the people from different pockets of um, um, society, you get um, variations of responses. Um, the, the opinions expressed are quite vast. So, for example, um, how do you think a, a, a 40-year-old um, non-Muslim who's an artist was born and raised in KL, lived in KL for 40, plus, uh, 40 years, and then recently moved to Trungano for the past one year? How would someone like that feel? So here's a bit of the conversation we had with Chitu, who's an artist and art worker for Ilham Gallery. Um, so I've, I've basically lived in Kiel my entire life. Um, like, I mean, like I've lived in Kiel for 40 years. And over the past 10 years, I've, I've been back and forth to Trunganu um, a fair bit. Um, here for holidays, sometimes for work, and very often I come um, on extended trips for like a month or two 
picking up crafts and skills. But that's really just an excuse to spend time in Trunganu, really. At some point, you kind of realise, like, um, a move to Trunganu is kind of inevitable. So here I am. <laughs> what draws you to Trunganu? Because I'm, I'm sure you have been to a lot of different states in Malaysia, right? One is the landscape, but, but more than that, it's really the people in Trunganu, actually. Look, I, 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 find, I find people here to be the kindest and the gentlest um, I've, I've met in the whole country, perhaps. And, and there's, just a, there's just a kind of a chill ambient here that I find very appealing. Um, of course, you know, like, you contrast that to living in KL, which is the exact opposite so I, I, th- I think having having spent my whole life in that manic that scale, like this is this is actually extremely refreshing and <laughs> and if if anything, I think it's more like there's a sense of peace that I long for and and I find it here. But I think as opposed to a place like KL, like I think there's a lot more balance here um, in terms of work and and leisure and rest. I pretty much work throughout the day. I mean, I, I still have a job in KL. Like, I'm, I would say that I'm, I'm, I'm privileged in that sense where I, I have a job, I have a, I have a, arrange, I have a work arrangement that, you know, that allows me to, to move to Trunganu. I mean, like most people, I spend my day um, in the mornings and the afternoons just working my day job. And for me, like 4 or 5 p.m., I'm... I'm out of the office. When I say office, I mean the office that's upstairs from my house. Um, and I'm off to the beach. And I'm swimming, kayaking, reading a book. And just chilling with friends. And then when it comes to Maghrib, I go home, I cook dinner. <laughs> I have my dinner and then I watch TV, I read some more and I go to sleep. And on off days, I, I come off to like a beach like this where it's just me for kilometers, you know, mm. like, like it's just kilometers of beach and it's just me and, and I just do nothing. But um, I mean, looking at everyone around me, I mean, at least my friends, I, I guess they share the same kind of life in that sense because, you know, like me, they're there by the beach. We, we're hanging out at the beach at like about, at about 5, 6 p.m., 4, 5 p.m. we're there and, you know, and I, I guess that's a much better work-life balance. But I also want to say that I think people are actually very hardworking here also. I mean, one of the things that I think that, that I, that, that sort of like, that impressed upon me when I first came like 10 years ago, I remember when I was staying in the village and, you know, and I, and I can see how everyone actually literally has three, four jobs. I, I mean, the... I mean, when I came, I came to learn to make wows from this local, local person in the kampung, and and he he basically built houses. He he's a fisherman. He collects coconuts, and and he does a whole bunch of things just to support himself. On top of that, you know, there's still time to just you know have that leisure time and that that time off from 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 work Chitu, um, you acknowledge the fact that to a certain extent you know moving here in, in itself is a privilege and that, to a, that that you sort of like observe that you know the city life is no longer sustainable in that sense that a lot of people are maybe tired of it um, do you have friends or people you know from KL that 
share the same sentiment that you know might want to also make make similar moves as well I suppose but maybe didn't have chance or is it is it just an uh, you know a select few that's that perhaps are tired of the hustle and bustle and the urban aspiration I've I've so many people tell me like hey like oh like like I wish you know I can do the same as you like everyone tells me like how they want to do what I do um, but everyone's held back by some commitment or some you know by by working care and all I'm I'm an anomaly in that sense where where I do have that privilege where where I have a work arrangement that allows me to do so because frankly if you ask me like if if I don't have a job in KL that I can do here mm-hmm. um I I can't imagine mm-hmm. moving to Trengganu I, I I actually can't think of of work that I can do that can sustain myself here so I think a place like KL or like say like like Georgetown or like um the major cities I don't think it's a choice for people to not want to have more um, because it's it's the conditions of the city that forces you to to be so because you know um for example if you live in KL um everything that you do requires some sort of spending and a night out in KL will set you back a hundred couple of hundred ringgit yeah at least you know as a sort of like a middle class urban type person we saying goes um there's no freedom quote unquote in Trengganu for non muslims uh because of the political climate um <laughs> what do you think of that and what does freedom mean to you i think trungganu has this reputation of of being extremely conservative but i f- often feels like that's just a optic that the state tries to tries to present um to the public but i think people in terms of in terms of like private citizens they are quite chilled about the whole religion thing but 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 I also want to say that I'm also privileged in that sense that I'm a I'm a straight non-muslim male living in Trengganu so you know my 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 experiences could be very different from from someone from like someone else who you know who don't occupy this position of privilege you know like i i think people conflate kelantan and trengganu as the same place um but it's it's not it's really is but it really is um two totally different places if anything i feel like there's more i i feel a bit more liberated here than anywhere else like um during the last fasting season and the last ramadan season here and i have muslims who just like offer me food <laughs> in broad in in the middle of the day during fasting because hey you're not fasting you you come makan lah kau tak puasa i'm i'm generally a skeptic <laughs> and and I, i i do feel like with the way things are going in this country you know like things are just going to get worse and and it's the same for Trengganu like things will get worse in Trengganu um socially or whatever but i do feel like in a country where if i think that everything's going to go it's going to go downhill is is best to be at the place where you think like you know it's best to be in the best position <laughs> so that you know in that downhill trajectory you know you 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 start quite high up yeah <laughs> Yeah um I mean I I've I've moved my entire life here like I 
pretty much everything I have in KL is here in Trunganu now and my plans are to stay here for the rest of my life. Alright, so that's about that about wraps up the first episode of The East is Green. Next week, we bring you an interview with it with Dr. Balachandran Gopalkrishnan, who's the Special Advisor of Non-Muslim Affairs to the Trunganu MB. He's also part of the Dewan Himpunan Pandu Kongpas DHPP, um, which is PAS's non-Muslim wing. So if you missed any part of this episode, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. You've been listening to The East is Green on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.0. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.